Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Good Monday morning. Welcome to episode 66. As the guy said, I am Peter Lamont, and uh, we're with us, obviously, is our co-host, Bob Hughes. How are you, Bob? I am doing great. Good morning, Peter. It is uh, absolutely 100% of me. Oh, man, I'm telling you. How was your weekend? Filled with chlorinated water from my pool. Other than that, good times. Your skin's not glowing? <laughs> no, actually, I'm surprised they had to add some this morning. So it sounds like we got some use out of it. No, it was a good weekend. The sun was out uh, here in sunny Michigan. Change, so we're just waiting for the next polar vortex to come in and shut the pool down again because that's the way my luck goes. <laughs> I, took, I uh, buy a I took... pool, it turns into uh, you know, anything but global warming. So what do you have, like an ice skating rink in the winter? <laughs> I was just discussing that the other day with my wife. She said, you know what are you going to do with all this water? So I'm going to build a form, and we're going to channel the water into the form and let it sit and freeze. Absolutely. Nice. And then suck it back in in the summer. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm all about recycling. <laughs> you know, uh, I was I was listening. To, I, I took the, uh, the family up to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania this weekend, which oh. it's, not, it's not all that far from me, but... I've got a 12, an 8, and a 2-year-old, and it was rough. The 2-year-old was the best behaved of all of them. <laughs> now, let me introduce one word for you, au pair. <laughs> That's actually two words, but <laughs> nanny, there's one word. Uh, maybe a cousin to take along to, to one of those guys, something they can do fun. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I've got 10- and 6-year-old girls, and it's, I, I, I wouldn't want to have anything younger at this point in my life, but uh, it, I'm sure they, they experience the same problems your kids have. You know, but doesn't it make you feel old? I, mean, I feel so old having a two-year-old. <laughs> I mean, the good news is he'll be three in, he'll be three in August, so. <laughs> wait, wait till he's 10 and you're chasing him around. Oh, you want to yeah. feel old. <laughs> in my wheelchair? <laughs> That's right, you and your hover-round. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a good time. Do you guys just go up there for the uh, historical aspect of it, or was there something going on up there? No, it was just, uh, you know, I figured it was time for, you know, I took the 12-year-old when he was really little, and it was just me and my wife and him, and it was great for us. But, um, yeah, the kids are learning about it in school, so I always believe that it's um, easier to learn about history when you can actually see it and connect it. So, sure. you know, we took him up, and um, they had a good time. We stopped in every single bathroom that there could be. We stopped in it because every five minutes somebody had to go to the bathroom. But um, no, it was fun. It was fun, and it's really, I mean, it's a, an interesting place. You know, when you think about what happened historically. So, oh, it's amazing. The closest I've come is Appomattox. Mm-hmm. 
and I, and I kick myself for not continuing on to Gettysburg because uh, that was 15 years ago. But now with kids, like you say, as they get uh, learn more about history, and I'm sure the East Coast will be a week-long trip at some point. Yeah, oh, there's so much here on the East Coast. You know, it's funny, as I was <laughs> driving back yesterday, you talk about recycling water. Um, I was listening to a podcast in the car, because my family and I were big Disney fans, so you know oh, sure. we listen. To, it's I can't help it. Um, but I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about they've got the years ago. It was like I think it was the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea ride, and in mm. Disneyland California, they've got this gigantic pool of water, which is now the Nemo Under the Sea ride. And from what the, the people on the podcast were saying. California's been in a state of drought for like three to five years, and Disney's thinking of closing down that ride to replace it with a Star Wars uh, attraction. And so they're going to consider putting all that water, cleaning it, and putting it back in the aquifer. So there's some recycling of water. I think they have like 70,000 gallons or something ridiculous. That sounds like a stimulus plan. So, yeah. so I'm going to be short-lived. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> There's no long-term effects. Thanks for the drink, uh, Disney, yeah. but uh, I, don't, I don't think much is more going to come from that. So, well, it, it was a good weekend. Glad you got a chance to get away with it. Yep. All right. So, what do you got for us today, Bob? <laughs> yeah, speed kids. Actually, uh, here maybe you need to take a, a lesson from this gal. Uh, a worker at McDonald's. This mom let her child play in a park, but uh, while she was at work, but it did not put her in harm's way, according to her attorney. According to Business Insider, the attorney for Deborah Harrell, a South Carolina mother who had lost custody of her daughter after allegedly letting her play at a park while she worked at a McDonald's, wants to set the record straight on why Harrell doesn't deserve to face the serious felony charge against her. Harrell, 46, still working at McDonald's, was arrested July 1st and charged unlawful neglect of a child. I didn't know there was any lawful way to do that. Uh, the felony does carry as much as 10 years in prison if Harrell's convicted, according to her attorney. Now... Uh, Robert Werner Phillips, the attorney, talked to Business Insider recently to offer his version of the incident. There's always two, three sides to every story, as you know, the, his side, her side, and the truth. Now, she's a single mother, Harold, supporting the nine-year-old daughter. She originally worked the night shift at McDonald's, but when her hours changed to the day shift, she began taking her daughter to work with her. The child took advantage of the free Wi-Fi to use the Internet while she's at work. So here she's at work, she's got a kid in there playing on a computer while well, someone broke into their house, stole the laptop that the daughter used, and the girl had to spend the day playing in a park nearby instead, about 3,000 feet from the Harrell household, which is about a six-minute walk. Originally, a lot of reports were saying that it was a mile and a half from their home. Although the girl would often ride her electric scooter to the park or walk there with friends, her mother decided last month to drop her off at the park on her way to work. The daughter had a cell phone, which to call her mom with if she needed to, and played with kids all over the park that were his, her age. Now... The media, of course, is saying that this was dangerous because it only takes a second to snatch away your child, according to the lawyer. If that's the standard, he said, then if you take your eyes off a child for two seconds, then you must be guilty of the same crime. Interesting concept. Although in earlier press coverage, the girl was told that it was said that she walked a mile and a half from the park to a McDonald's inside Walmart, where her mother's McDonald's was. Harold, admitting to dropping her daughter off at the park on the way to work, 
she was jailed overnight before posting a $5,000 bond. Her daughter still in custody of the Department of Social Services. And that's an important point to remember when we go through some other stories here, that her daughter still in social services right now. But the bigger thing is, what do you do with these kids? You, you, there's so many parents, single parents, working at middle uh, or minimum wage jobs. They can't afford child care. Something changes, changes with their hours. What do you do with these kids? And then what, 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 at what point does the risk become something like this parent is, is dealing with? Now she's looking at uh, possibly going to jail. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really disturbing. You know, this, the woman gave her daughter her cell phone. And, you know, you, you, you figured, you know, she's got a cell phone, she'll be safe. She's, um, you know, it's not like she's four years old. But, you know, you can see both sides of it. And, you know, it, it's, it's concerning because there seems to be, at least over, over, you know, on my side of the country, there seems to be so many um, criminal charges being filed against parents who leave their kids in the car. And I'm not talking about parents that leave the windows rolled up on 90-degree days. You know, sure. they run into the store. They can see them from the window. They're in the car for a few minutes. Um, I don't know. It's really, really hard because, in, in one hand, I feel bad for this woman. You know, what is she going to do with her kids? She's trying to make a living. And then on the other hand, I understand that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have done that because I'd be too worried that something would happen to my, my kid. Likewise. Every you know? day. Every day. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard. I mean, what do you think, Bob? I mean, would you would you have done that? It's interesting in two points on this, actually. Number one, I don't think I could do it every day, um, but I did have a situation similar to this with a one one time deal. Riding my bike, my kids were probably four years younger than they are now, so six and two. Had the kids in the um, Little trailer, you know, you get those trailers that you ride the bikes around with. You know, you put your kids yeah. in them, you can go for a bike ride. R- rode up to the store, and I carry, I, I, I open carry, so I'm usually prepared for situations if something arises. Um, but my children pulled to a, a, a party store to get a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk. Party store had, you know, those big plate glass windows out front where you can see inside the store from yep. from from ceiling to floor. Had that, so I parked my bike in front of there, went inside, left the kids in the bike. Probably a bad call at the time. Didn't seem like it though to me. Um, I could see the kids at all times. The bread's right there, the milk's right there. I could see them when I go to the counter. I saw a, a state car pull into the parking lot. Saw her not get out of her car, and when I walked out of the, the store with the bread and the milk, that's when she exited her vehicle and said hey, I don't think what you did was a very good idea. And me being me said, really, honestly, lady, I really don't care what you think. That's the problem. Well, it was when she's Department of Human Services, Child Protective Division. And uh, <laughs> so that's I, I did it at the worst possible time. Yeah. And they tried to open a case against me. And I used a lot of the, the same logic this, this um, attorney is using and saying that, you know, I let my kids play outside the house in a fenced-in yard, and I might be doing dishes, I could see them, but I keep my eyes off my kids longer to turn around and answer the phone or, or turn around and, and do something, put, put dishes away than what I had in that store. You know, you, you have that false sense of security. It could happen at any time, anywhere, but that's where you get that line, like you had said, when is it good, when is it not good? 
once in a while, you know, you're in the store, you can see the kids. Again, those not rolled up in 90 degrees. It's it's a it's it's a it's a it's a fuzzy line, man. But I don't think I could yeah. do it every day at work, going going to work for eight hours a day, uh, leaving my kid entrusted to hopefully that she's not going to lose that cell phone, phone or somebody's not going to come up to her and say, "Hey, mom got hurt at work. You need to come with me." Yeah. No, I know. You it's, know, you know it's, it's 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 tough though because you know back back in in you know my era. You know, I, I walked to school if I wanted to, not because I had to, sure. but because other kids were doing it. You know, it, it was probably a mile and a half to get to school. And nowadays, oh, yeah. you know, I, I, as a parent, I'm very overprotective. I probably wouldn't allow that. But it's, it's really hard to, to say that this woman should go to jail. And like you pointed out, the kids in protective custody or protective services, so – how beneficial is it for for her her kid? Because I'm sure this girl misses her mother. It's really a, yeah. a sad story. From a, from a legal standpoint, Peter, where is it? I mean, I'm not sure if you're more up on family law. I know you're 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 probably more to the business side. But you know, where does that do you do you know for sure or kind of have an idea of where that lies and what her liability is to this child? Because there's got to be a point where it can make a decision. Well, you know, we have a we have a family law division in the firm, and there's an attorney who oh. handles that end of it. And I was speaking to her, um, you know, over the weekend in preparation for the show, and she seems to think that it's going to kind of uh, rest upon the the factual how far away, what was the um, you know the the mileage, how far away, how many steps, how the proximity to the McDonald's, um, you know, did the cell phone have some sort of impact as far as, well, you know, you were able to communicate with her. Um, so, you know, she, she thinks that, uh, you know, here in New Jersey or, or New York, um, that it would probably be more of a, uh, a warning shot and then don't do it again, slap on the wrist, and that would be that. Um, but, you know, she's not sure how this is going to play out. And, you know, I feel badly because, the cost of daycare, it's so high. And I understand, you know, if this woman's a single mom needing to work to make money, so I get that. But at the same time, isn't there something that she could have done? So I think that the way the courts are going to look at it is, you know, did you put your child in danger? And is right. a jury going to believe that, well, you were only 3,000 steps away or whatever it was from where you were working, and on top of that you had a cell phone, so does that uh, eliminate some of the danger? And in addition to that, there were numerous kids at the playground. As a matter of fact, it was, it was the parent of another child who was there who said, where are your parents to this girl? And that's how this whole thing kicked off. Um, you know, it's tough. I wouldn't do that. You know, the, the, the most that I've ever done is um, if we're local at a store and me and my wife have to run in because she wants to show me something, before she spends way too much money on something we don't need. Um, <laughs> I'll leave the kids in the car. The car is running. The doors are locked because I can do it from outside. And I give them a phone so that they can FaceTime me the whole time I'm in the store. And I'm in the store for minutes. But, I'm you know, I guilty think, of exactly the same thing. Exactly the same don't, thing. Don't you worry now with what's going on? I mean, I worry that someday someone's going to pull up and, and take my kids away because, you know, they're in the car. For, for a few minutes, and I can see them. 
kind of concerning. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely, I absolutely do the exact same thing. I use uh, Skype and, mm-hmm. versus FaceTime, the exact same thing. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I have that same concern, you know, is, is someone going to roll up and take my kids? And, and, and then my next concern is, what am I going to do for those two weeks? <laughs> I can't get airfare that quick. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, but, yeah, no, it, and it's a real concern, that's for sure. So, um, well, hopefully, uh, if anything, I'm sure people will learn a lesson from it, and uh, not only her, but other people like you and I, uh, what we can and can't do. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. So. We have to follow this and see what this uh ultimately leads. I mean, I don't think this woman's going to do any sort of serious jail time, and I would imagine that she'll get her kid back. I think that a lot of it's going to come down to, well, what arrangements now can you make for the care of your child? If the woman, you know, says, hey, listen, I'm going to do it again, then I think that she's going to have a problem. But if there's a a family friend or a relative or somebody that can help out, I think everything will be okay for her. Yeah, that sounds sounds about right. I can't, can't, can't not agree with you there. Um, L.A. Times, moving along, telling us that, uh, speaking of babysitting, Manuel Noriega, you remember this guy? He's suing oh, Activision. He's in jail still over the Call of Duty game. He gets, apparently he's a character. Former Panama dictator Manuel Noriega suing the Santa Monica video game publisher Activision for def- depicting him and using his name without his permission in one of the fastest-selling video games on the market. In a lawsuit filed last week in Los Angeles County Superior Court, Noriega, who apparently has a lot of time on his hands, alleges that Call of Duty Black Ops 2 portrays him as a kidnapper, murderer, and enemy of the state. This was all done to heighten the realism in this game. Well, if it's that real, apparently it must be true. Now, that translates directly into heightened sales for Activision, the lawsuit states. Noriega, now 80, seeking lost profits as well as damages. His attorney not responding for a request uh, comment from the L.A. Times. If you remember, Noriega was <laughs> captured in a, uh, well, at least the beginning of a U.S. invasion of Panama in 1989, which ended his military dicta- dictatorship and landed him in a U.S. prison for about two decades on drug trafficking charges. For a time, he'd been a close ally of the U.S. government. Yeah. He's lived in Panama since 2011. Uh, legal action is just the latest to target the video game industry. This is not the only time someone has done something. Actress Lindsay Lohan recently sued makers of Grand Theft Auto V video game, which is um, basically, I don't know if you've seen the Grand Theft Auto series, yeah. It contains a likeness of her, at least she believes that is, without her permission. And a group of college athletes also reached a $40 million settlement with EA, Electronic Arts, for the use of their likenesses in the NCAA-branded video games as well. So it smacks to a question here is, in, 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 there's different classifications. You have the NCAA situation. You have Lindsay Lohan, and you have Noriega. Noriega, not necessarily the same situation as an NCAA basketball player because they're going in and performing. Noriega, government leader in the public. What what kind of – has this guy got a case? You know what's interesting about this? I think if uh, Activision had stuck with money laundering, drug trafficking, and, uh, you know, that <laughs> sort of Just what was crime, on the indictment okay. is the thing. <laughs> yeah, because then their defense could have been, well, it's true. Um, That's right. <laughs> you know, I don't think that he has a case. Uh, I, I definitely think you're absolutely right with the distinction between the NCAA players and somebody like Lindsay Lohan. You know, especially when you take a look at um, 
you know, the, uh, the Grand Theft Auto games and the, the line of games. I mean, some of the stuff that's in there, you know, it's, I wouldn't let my kids play it ever. And they know no, that likely. because there's, yeah, there's stuff that's so inappropriate. And, and, you know, if you had somebody who, um, you know, like Lindsay Lohan, who, who you can really see there's a lot of, um, of, of similarities between the character and her, and maybe she's doing inappropriate things or whatnot, you know, drugs or, or whatever it is. I mean, I could understand that. I can also understand the NCAA because that doesn't seem fair as well. But Noriega, um, I, I can't even imagine, you know, what he's thinking except, hey, I need some money because I, I can't imagine that, um, you know, he's going to win on this at all. And, and this is one of those things that Activision could be spending more money building another one, another game, because their series is huge. And instead, they've got to deal with Noriega, you know. But, you know, from, and I hate to get off the topic, but from a, a political standpoint, you know, the U.S. does this all the time. They jump on board with somebody. They were, they were a huge fan of Noriega at the beginning. Oh, absolutely. You know, he was with the CIA, and you got to, I, I mean, I don't know. I, do I believe that we landed on the moon? Yes. But do I also believe that there's some conspiracy out there? Yes. You know, I think uh, that... Uh, when he was arrested, go ahead. Sure. No, I was just you know, continue on with you because I've got another question for you about him. When when he was arrested, you know they they brought him up under charges of of drug trafficking and whatnot. And his defense was, yeah, but I did those things under the guise of CIA employment, and now you know you're holding me responsible for it. That's not fair. You know, look, I I love the country, but I can't say a hundred percent that. That would surprise me um, because oh, you were gosh. dealing with, yeah, well, you're dealing with the Panama Canal, you know, and access and control of the Panama Canal. So I don't know. But all in all, getting back to things, I think that uh, Noriega has a slim to, uh, to no chance of having any success here. Um, you know, I've seen the character. I've seen the character on the game. And I don't Do they think call him Noriega in the game? No. No, and, okay. and it just is a, a similar look, but there are a lot of people that look like Noriega. I, I've got a pizza delivery guy that looks just like him. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just the way it is. So, you know. <laughs> and he's delivering pizza. Sure he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know why you have an 80-year-old pizza delivery guy. Um, well, and that's, you know, I asked you know, about whether or not they refer to him as Noriega or how close do they get to saying this is who he is? Because obviously, like you had said, does he have a defamation suit? Probably not. The guy's defamed himself. But does he have an opportunity to the rights to his image? And that's, that's, that's what I don't know. And, and, and if, I guess if they don't refer to him specifically as Noriega, then I guess you, you know, there's, there's, there's that, that possibility. Uh, uh, that he's in every way, shape, or form, he's exactly like Noriega. Does he have a case? And like you say, maybe it's a slim chance. Yeah, I think it's a slim chance because, you know, he's also a public figure. And so um, to the extent that, that he has rights, um, uh, it's, a very, it's a tough call, but I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, you look at all of these video games. There are um, characters in games that look like Gorbachev or uh, Putin. And, you know, it does, do they call them Putin? No. Uh, but 
you know, I think that there's some uh, some ability to have some fair use creativity with some of these characters. I don't think that Noriega has a suit at all. Um, maybe <laughs> at, at best, maybe they'll send him a couple copies of uh, of the game for him to distribute to his, <laughs> his buddies down there. Put him on the black market, make a couple bucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, you don't know about... You know, you don't necessarily trust the government 100% about not doing something when it comes to a shady action um, in, in Noriega's case or anyone's case for that matter. And, and to that point, some DEA agents were sued this past week for paying a drug addict in crack cocaine. Aaron Romero is blaming the government for reinstilling his addiction. According to MedicalDaily.com, a former drug addict suing federal agents after they paid him in crack cocaine for his help during an undercover investigation in Las Vegas and in New, uh, in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Excuse me. 38-year-old Aaron Romero, approached by DEA officers back in 2011 to, to assist his drug bust, referred to as Operation Smack City. The DEA agents paid Romero with portions of the drugs they confiscated, allegedly reigniting his crack addiction. Um, <laughs> Romero's lawyer saying that he was targeted because he was a known drug addict, and that would make sense. But he's trying to get his life back together, and he's still afraid that the government will try to restart his addiction again. Romero allegedly fell back into the bad habits when federal officers handed him crack cocaine for his help with informants in the case, although he's now drug-free. A spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Albuquerque, Elizabeth Martinez, said that the office declined to comment. Um, <laughs> his lawyer stating the government and the defendants affirmatively and intentionally established a pattern of distribution of crack cocaine to Romero in order to utilize his addiction to crack cocaine to further the investigation and to stack drug-related charges against him. Five DE agents were named in the lawsuit, a lawsuit stating that Romero was a victim of recklessness on behalf of the DEA and seeking $8.5 million in damages for the loss of love, familial, excuse me, family relationships, and companionship due to the reignition of his drug addiction. Now, if you compare to this to the case in Florida this week, the guy should have just died from cigarette smoking instead. But uh, you, you know, you talk about the, the the government not necessarily doing the best to uh, ensure the <laughs> uh, citizens are safely taken care of. Is this something that happens all the time? Is this something that happened right here, or <laughs> and you know, this guy seems like this. This seems like a slam dunk. You know, without without sounding like Alex Jones, um, I do think that there's some. Uh, you know, uh, please this don't. isn't the first time this has happened. <laughs> this isn't the first time it's happened at all. You know, I mean, look, the guy helps them crack the case, and what do they pay him with? I mean, come on, it, it's. I think it's so ridiculous that um, law enforcement would be giving him crack. I mean, that's just so. I, I, it's, it, it blows my mind, really, because they're. But they do this all the time. You see it, you know, whether you're in law enforcement or you see it on TV, they will give someone who is a lower player in the totem pole a break if he gives up the big players. And, sure. You know, they're using they're using these people. The guy's a drug addict, yes, but does that mean that his life is over? He can't recover. He can't, you know come back and, and, and have a meaningful life. So they're going to use him and then they're going to pay him with crack. And then they, what, you know, do you think they really care what happens to him? I think they do this all the time. And how is this different in, in my opinion, how is this different than 
people who are saying that soldiers shouldn't be permitted to waterboard and that, that sort of torture. I mean, isn't it, it it's kind of like torturing the guy. I mean, he, he well, recovers from an addiction and now they're going to pay him in, in crack? That's the thing I don't understand about this. He says he was, well, it just doesn't, two and two are not adding up to four with me, is that he was supposedly recovered, but yet they give him crack? That, that doesn't, I'm not saying they didn't because I don't know the facts of the case, but it would make more sense to me, like you said, if he's already a crack addict and a practicing crack addict like that, that makes more sense to say, hey, yeah, hey, cracky, here you go, here's some coke for you, and get on your way. Right. But if he's, he, if he's already reformed, I don't understand what the, the, the motivation was. Giving him. And again, sometimes officers don't make the best decisions. Um, but uh, those two things, when I re- went through the story, those two things didn't make sense to me. If he was already cleaned up, how was that, I guess, again, and, and maybe that's the whole contention of the case. Yeah, you know, the thing, though, is that at the end of the day, it's very hard to sue the government. It's very hard to sue them on a state level, and it's hard to sue them at a federal level because every state and the federal government, they offer immunities to governmental municipal workers, um, mm-hmm. police officers, anybody in, the, in, in law enforcement, DEA, you know, obviously CIA, forget about suing a CIA guy. Um, but they have, yeah, right. they have these immunities in place, and they make it very difficult. You have to be able to show um, like the equivalent of gross negligence. It's not enough to okay. just be negligent. You've got to show that you, you know, were so grossly negligent, and that's a, that's a very high standard. So, so I think at the end of the day, you know, plus, who, if this ever went to trial, which it never would, could you imagine what they do to this guy in front of a jury on the stand? Oh, you know, as far as, yeah, as far as you're talking about his reliability? Yeah, they'd go through, so how, you know, how much crack did you smoke? How many years were you a drug addict? You know, where were you living? You know, which street corner? And just, you know, they would discredit him to the point where nobody would believe him. Uh, but it'll never get that far, ever. But sure. you know, get a couple it, it mil is, out of it and walk away. I don't even think he's going to get that. I think that if anything, it'll all be on the on the down low, and you know, maybe they'll give him. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll give him some pot instead of crack, and, and he'll be sent out his way. <laughs> but you know what? Up in Colorado. It's not right. So if I look at this and I think to myself, here's the DEA who's supposed to be protecting people. You know, you can't go and you can't do this. Let's assume the guy's facts are correct. You just can't do this. You can't go out and give somebody something to further your career. Here, here's crack. Help me find the, the, you know, the big players. Help me find uh, distributors and whatever, and I'll use you to get the big fish, and uh, good luck. You know, we don't even care about you. You're disposable. Yeah. I don't think that's right. Disposable. The word I was looking for is disposable. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think it absolutely happens, like you said, and it's. I think generally the worst case scenario probably happens where the situation were the same with someone else. The guy probably dies, and you never hear anything about it. Right. He's a drug addict. So what difference does it yeah. make? Exactly. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it didn't happen, and, and hopefully uh, something good will come from it. Yeah. So. <laughs> Oh, and speaking of something good coming from people, new guidelines helping many pregnant workers. Now, of course, I'm not speaking of 
just women. ABC News reporting that new federal guidelines on job discrimination against pregnant workers could have a big impact on the workplace and in the courtroom. Expanded rules adopted by the bipartisan, now I'm, now I'm starting to doubt the truth, story. Uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission making it clear that any form of workplace discrimination or harassment against pregnant workers by employers is a form of sex discrimination and illegal. Updating its pregnancy discrimination policies for the first time in more than 30 years, the agency cited a persistence of overt pregnancy discrimination as well as the emergence of more subtle discriminatory practices. The guidelines spell out for the first time how the Americans with Disability Act actually applies to pregnant workers. And they emphasize that any discrimination against female workers based on past or prospective future practices is also now illegal. Uh, the new guidelines prohibit employers from forcing pregnant workers to take leave and acknowledge that employers may have to provide light duty for pregnant workers after childbirth uh, and lactation is now covered as a pregnancy-related medical condition. And it's not just women who benefit. Guideline also saying that when it comes to parental leave, similarly situated men and women must be on the same terms. The EEOC data showing a 46% increase in pregnancy-related complaints to the EEOC from 1997 until 2011, and the guidelines were last updated in 1983. This has got to be something that probably rears its head more now than ever with, with increased single parenting, uh, dual-income households when you have two parents in the home. This is something, obviously, it's been 30 years or more, uh, a long time coming. And what, from a legal standpoint, is this kind of making it easier than ever before for people to bring suit, or is it just making it more difficult for employers to do something stupid? You know, I think that there's such a fine line between um, saying that it opens up the, the floodgates to sue for, for anything. You know, I'm, I'm pregnant, I'm going to sue you. Um, <clears throat> I think that what you have to look at is you look at the ADA. Okay, the ADA never listed pregnant individuals as qualified people under the act. They weren't disabled. So you're not disabled until you have children. That's for sure. That's for sure. I'm still not fully functional from the weekend. Take so him to Gettysburg and find out, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, but, you know, the ADA now uh, has adopted what so many of the states have already put in place. You know, states like New York, New Jersey, it's illegal to discriminate against uh, someone who is pregnant. So this ruling, this, this change to their guidelines, I think, uh, should have been done sooner because I think that there is a, a great deal of discrimination um, against pregnant individuals. I think that this is, um, you know, something really positive for everyone. I think that it's positive for pregnant women. I think it's positive for men that might need to take a parental leave. I think that this is a good thing for them. And I think that employers are not going to really see much of a change in, in, in the way things are or in the way that they respond to things because I'm sure across the country it's the same thing. You know, oh, she's pregnant. We can't fire her right now. How many times I've heard that when clients have come to me and said, you know, I've got this worker. I want to fire her, but she's pregnant. I can't, right? You know, and that, that's Think how many times in, I've said it. <laughs> yeah. That's happened in every state that we've worked in, Absolutely. Colorado, Florida. You know, it doesn't make a difference. It's not just a New Jersey thing. Um, sure. But, you know, I think 
having never been pregnant and thanking God that I never could be pregnant because I never would, there'd be no children in the world if men had to give birth. <laughs> no, we, we can't take that pain. No, no. But I think it's a good thing. I think it's a positive thing that they've now added it to um, the, the category of protection. I don't know necessarily that it's a disability, which is why, why it's part of their pregnancy act. Um, but I think it's a positive thing. But you know what is one thing that's very interesting is this. You can have as many laws on the books as you want about discrimination. And I'm going to tell you from a practical standpoint what I see some of the companies that we work with or have worked with in the past doing. You know, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't discriminate against somebody because of their, um, their finances, right? If somebody's got bad credit, that's not a reason not to hire them. You can't fire right. or not hire somebody because they're pregnant. But the practical thing is, when you have a job interview and you come in and you're seven months pregnant, you could be the nicest person in the world, but that employer is not looking at you. They're looking at your stomach and what it's going to cost them. And so they simply say to you, you know, you're a really great person, good luck with everything, but you're just not who we were looking for. You don't have that experience. Where, sure. Especially, you know, it would have to be over and above a, a qualification situation. It would be, have to be clear that person is, is the person to hire without getting, like I say, just finding somebody else. Yeah, you know, and, and unless you're stupid as an employer, right, because believe me, there are, there are tons of people out there that, that do this. <laughs> you'll go and you'll look at somebody's credit report as part of a background check, and you'll say, well, you know, this person's got multiple bankruptcies or multiple uh, judgments against them, and they're going to be handling cash. I'll give you a prime example. We got a call from somebody a few weeks ago. We didn't take their case um, because it just – didn't seem like it was all in the up and up, but he was a, a vending machine guy. And he owned a route and he owned a bunch of vending machines and he had somebody in the office that stole supposedly like $5,000. And I say supposedly because the story that he told me, it just didn't jive. And I think that he took the money himself. But mm-hmm. um, the argument was that when I hired the person who, who I believe stole the money, I realized that this person had judgments against them, and I think they stole the money because they needed to repay these judgments. Now, that, you know, <laughs> that guy's just an idiot, but I think that that happens all the time. You know, as long as you don't tell somebody, hey, I'm not going to hire you because you're pregnant, or hey, I'm firing you because, you know, uh, you have a bankruptcy. If you don't say anything, it's, it becomes more difficult for someone to prove that you fired them for a discriminatory reason. So no laws can affix that. But clearly, sure. you know, when you've got someone who's pregnant, that's a, a massive red flag. And I think that the companies oh, across the country, they know that. Sure. So oh, I think that's, that's, a, that's a good point. I think the law is good. I think that the law is there to protect pregnant women. And I think it's important that we do... I don't think it's fair. You know, there's got to be reasonable accommodations given to people who have disabilities. And if we're going to say that pregnancy is a pseudo-disability, uh, then reasonable accommodations need to be made. They should be made. And uh, I think it's a positive step. I just don't think that it's going to have much of an impact because the, um, the increase over the years of, of lawsuits um, by pregnant women for discrimination has been on the rise. And the state level typically handles it, but now you're going to add the federal level to it. You know what I do think is going to happen? I think that 
uh, EEOC workers are going to get busier because as part of the federal standard, if you want to sue in federal court, you've got to go through the EEOC. And they're going to give you, you know, an investigation and then a right to sue letter. And if you choose that route, which I think a lot of people now will do, I think the EEOC is going to get very busy. Oh, nothing like a little more bureaucracy and red tape then. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think well, yeah. if I was EEOC, though, I'd start hiring some better people. I Not that I'm <laughs> categorizing everyone, but some of the people in the EEOC, they just don't care. Sure. You know, it, it's just another government job. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't even want to get into that and lack of customer service and protected <laughs> environments. Uh, uh, well, no, that's good. That's a good thing, and uh, I can't, like you, I can't see a downside downside to it as well. Um, outside of the, the the increased possibilities of cost, but that's yep. something that happens. Um, well, there's gonna be some increased cost for Trader Joe's. Do you guys have Trader Joe's up there in uh, New Jersey? Yeah, we do. Trader Joe's is great. Okay. Okay, yeah, exactly. We have them here, usually more in the big, like Detroit and Grand Rapids, I think, here in, in Michigan. But uh, they have settled a class action lawsuit over their claim of natural. Trader Joe's agreeing to a proposed $3.375 million settlement in the class action lawsuit over the alleged misuse of the word natural. The plaintiffs claimed Trader Joe's mislabeled products as all natural or 100% natural that actually contained certain allegedly synthetic ingredients. Now, the law filed in 2011 in the U.S. District Court of Northern California claimed products contained uh, ascorbic acid, cocoa processed with alkali, sodium acid, pyrophosphate, um, a laundry list of uh, large, large words. The specific products mentioned, though, here's, if you're listening, pay attention. If you've purchased JoJo's chocolate vanilla cream cookies, JoJo's chocolate sandwich cream cookies, Trader Joe's jumbo cinnamon rolls, Trader Joe's buttermilk biscuits, the uh, 100% natural, there's the term, fat-free ricotta cheese, and the fresh processed apple juice, all with the Trader Joe label, your could be involved in the suit. Now, Trader Joe's denying any wrongdoing, saying its products were labeled in accordance with existing laws, but has agreed to the settlement to avoid further costs and inconvenience. Class members of the class action suit include anyone who purchased the specific Trader Joe's products between October 24th of 2007 and February 6th of this year. Class members are eligible to receive payment of up to 10 total purchases of the products. I'm guessing this is without proof from $2.70 to $3.99. If you have proof of purchase, you can receive compensation for more than the 10 total. So here's the question is, Trader Joe is saying they're, you know, by and large the term is what the term is. But the thing that stuck out in this, Peter, was they're saying that their products were labeled in accordance with existing laws, but they agreed to the settlement. If you're right, why are you saying you're wrong? Well, there's so many facets to this story. So first let's look at, you know, a class action. You know, people call all the time sure. and you see it on TV, and I'm sure that at barbecues you hear it all oh. the time too. File a class action. Well, class actions aren't easy to file. You know, you have to have certain elements. There's, there's elements such as numerosity, uh, common questions of law, adequacy of representation, typicality of the claim. You have to all have essentially the same damages. You have to have the same issue at hand. And, and then perhaps you can file a class action. But the class action procedure, just to take a step away from this for a second, is so difficult. Sure. The way you do it is you file a class action complaint, and then 
you have some discovery, some exchange of documents, right? And then you get to the point where now you've got to file a motion and ask the court to certify your class. So you are talking about anywhere from months to a year before you get to that certification process. And so while the complaint is, is listed as a class action, it doesn't really mean you have one yet, not until it gets certified. Ah. Now, once a class gets certified, though, a defendant starts to worry because when you see recovery on class action, you're looking at, at like the, the figures that you just said. You know, you're going to get 10 free packages of cookies or you're going to get 30 cents or, you know, I'm sure everybody's received those things in the mail. The last one I got like, sure. was from Sears Hardware and they gave me $5. You know, so $5 is meaningless to most people, but in the grand scheme of things, if you add up the $5 that they gave to all the thousands or millions of people, that does have an impact on the company. So certification of a class is worrisome to a defendant. Now, interesting, though, I don't know, do you know Bethany Frankel uh, from Skinny Girl? You ever see those drinks around? Yeah, yeah, okay. There's a name ring about, but now I know what you're talking about, yeah. Well, you know, it's a similar story over here on the East Coast because uh, she was a real housewife of New York, and then she created this skinny girl line of cocktails, which was purchased by Jim Beam. And she just had the same thing happen to her, class action filed, because they said that the, the labeling on her all-natural skinny girl margarita drink um, contained the same type of chemicals that they're saying within the Trader Joe's cookies. And a judge over here ruled that she wasn't liable uh, or that the company wasn't liable and dismissed the class action. And the reasoning is that the FDA allows for a certain limit of chemicals to be in foods, even if you call them all natural, which blows my hmm. mind. You yeah. Know, as long as you're not saying organic, right, because there's a distinction oh, so between... The, so that's the trigger word right there. Yeah, if it's an organic product and you're going to say these are organic eggs and they're not or organic, um, you know, cookie, uh, that's a distinction between all natural. So Bethany Frankel out here got off the hook. Now, you, your question, why would Trader Joe's settle if they knew that they were right? Well, you know, and this is so important. This is so important to people that not are, just in, in, are not just in business but who might have a lawsuit. So important to understand this point. Sometimes having so much pride and wanting to prove that you're right is the worst financial decision you're ever going to make. You've heard those people, Bob, they're like, oh, you know, I'm right. I'm going to prove a point. You know, and at what I don't want. Yeah, yeah. It's Trader Joe's looked at this and said, look, here's the cost. If we continue to pay the lawyers, if this case gets certified as a class, Here's what could happen. So the money that we're going to pay out is going to be a better business decision, and it's going to save us in the long run. So many people, especially individuals who get sued or sue people, they get hung up with this idea of, well, it's not fair. But the law is not fair. You know, but don't throw away your money. It's, oh, it's so not fair. But, you know, that's where you've got to listen to an attorney, and, and you've got to listen to an attorney that's going to advise you uh, about what makes most sense for you. So I'm sure that Trader Joe's had a team of lawyers saying to them, look, if you settle, here's how much money you're going to save. Put this behind you, move forward. That's why they did it. 
because it would have cost them okay. more. You know, sure. but and that makes sense, yeah. Especially if you had a, a team of lawyers saying this is what you're going to pay if you don't, and we're going to take this. And yeah, that's that's a good point, yeah. Because and you get, I think, and I got lost being the legal idiot. That hey, you know, I mean, if 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 it's in black and white and the government says this is okay and that's what we did, how can we be wrong? But like you said, that's not the point. No, no, and you know, the the more interesting point here is. How can the FDA say that it's okay to have certain chemicals in it and call it all natural? I mean, that just blows my mind. <laughs> that's that's because they have a good somebody has very good pack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Lobbyists. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, when you get you get involved in all those those uh, legal ease when it starts getting into legislation and, and what who pays for what in Tennessee Time magazine telling us that the first woman has been charged under Tennessee's controversial drugs pregnancy law probably not a lot of push here from any kind of money common sense a woman in Tennessee last week became the first person to be charged under their law that basically you're counting illegal drug use during pregnancy as assault 26 year old Mallory Lloyd arrested July 8th and charged misdemeanor after she and her newborn baby tested positive for methamphetamine. ABC News telling Time Magazine that. Now, Monroe County Sheriff Bill Bevins telling another news outlet, local station in Knoxville, that Loyola admitted to smoking meth days before the birth of her child. Earlier this month, a law went into effect that allows mothers to be prosecuted for assault for the illegal use of a narcotic drug while pregnant if the child is harmed by or becomes addicted to the drug. Critics of the law, of course, saying it discourages women battling addiction from seeking women or prenatal care. The ACLU of Tennessee, in particular, calling the law dangerous, and it raises serious constitutional concerns regarding equal treatment under the law. The law does allow anyone charged as a defense to enter treatment uh, during why they're pregnant and complete it following the birth. So there's an out there. They can, they can enter treatment. They don't have to go to jail. Anytime someone is addicted and they can get off for their own child, their own flesh and blood, and if they can't get off, Bivens saying he's sad. Hopefully the arrest of this young woman will send a signal to other women who are pregnant and have a drug problem to seek help. That's what they want them to do. Loyola released on a $2,000 bail ABC News report. You know, this is you get into that whole argument about when is a child a child or when is a fetus a child, when does life begin, does this kind of fall into that? I mean, is there a bigger legal scope here, or is this just a, a law that makes a lot of sense that people bent about? You know, you raise a good point, because that, that is something that you're going to have a lot of the, um, the, the liberal sort of um, critics saying, yeah, this is, this is um, not a crime, because in order for it to be a crime, it needs to be against another person, another individual, and we don't have that here. So that raises a huge debate. Um, personally, I'll tell you, I think that the law is great because I think that I understand addiction and, and I understand how difficult it is to break an addiction. But, you know, when you're dealing with the life of, 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 a, of a baby, a brand new baby, and, and to, you know, be selfish and to, to use drugs and to then, you know, set this baby down a path. I mean, you, you've seen the stories that babies come out and they're addicted to cocaine. or It's really, really tragic, and it's not fair. So I think the law is good. But you know what's interesting is 
here's where the here's where the liberals are going to go. They're going to say, all right, well, if you can criminalize drug use while you're pregnant, what about alcohol abuse? What about smoking cigarettes? What about over-the-counter medications? You know, and that's where, where the liberals does, where are does the line draw? Where is the line drawn? Sure. Yeah. You know, and, and I know all the women that I've ever known, um, you know, in our circle of friends or colleagues or anyone that uh, was pregnant, they, there was always a concern, oh, I'm not going to drink, you know, caffeinated soda or, uh, oh, I'm going to try to stop smoking. Or it, it seems that there's a natural instinct for a mother to want to protect her child. So, sure, at any cost. I, yeah, yeah, I think you're probably dealing with a, a, a smaller portion of the population and um, maybe, I'm, I'm a big believer in education, but maybe educational programs could be beneficial uh, before women get pregnant or while they're in the initial stages of the pregnancy to show them, especially young women, young girls, listen, here's what can happen if you do this, here's what happens if you do that, you know? Sure. So... Uh, well, I think you hit on the head of something right there when you start to talk about education or pasta of, and I don't want to get into the stereotypical situations, but not a lot of, you know, more planned pregnancies and, 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 and more educated families are, are common, and, and more unplanned pregnancies are probably more common with, uh, with, with lower education, uh, lower educated individuals. And when you get down to the point where you have a meth addict, uh, education and a childbirth or uh, pregnancy prevention not high on the order of uh, yeah. of, 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 of items I'm going to worry about that particular day. I need to get my next fix. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. well, they mentioned, you know, hey, the law does allow anyone charged as a defense to enter a treatment program while they're pregnant and then complete it following the birth. So there's an out there. You know, there, there's, there's, yeah. there's their abilities. Hey, you know what? I, yeah, yeah, I was. I got caught smoking meth and yeah I'm pregnant and gosh I, I i can't get off it will you help me well as a matter of fact we can yeah you know i, I don't I think yeah. it's 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 there, there's it's almost it seems to me it acts as a net and provides a safety net but uh i i see i see a bigger push like you had mentioned where you pro-lifers saying see here's another situation where we win and and then the aclu's of the world and the other side of the coin saying how can you you know, Roe versus Wade says it's it's this. How can you even say that this is a crime when that hasn't occurred yet when it comes to the yeah. stage of life? You know what? Imagine this case in Colorado. And imagine it not <laughs> now, but marijuana. What would you do there? <laughs> because now you're dealing with a situation where the drug isn't illegal. You know, meth is illegal. Marijuana in Colorado is not illegal. So, you know... Imagine that debate. Hey, now you go back to your alcohol and tobacco. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, as, oh, as a parent, I would, I would say, you know, and obviously I've never used meth or, or a drug that I've been addicted to, and, and um, I've never smoked pot or anything like that. So I don't know what that's all like. But as a parent, I would want to protect my kid. And, and if I had a problem, if I was um, – you know, using something, I, I would want to try to look for help. But, you know, you're, you made an interesting point, which is that when you're on something like, like meth, you're not even in your right mind. 
you know, sure. and it's it's hard. So it's a tough call. It's I think it's a good law. I think that um, every time there's a new law put out there, you know, you're going to have the ACLU and people that are are more liberal minded saying, yeah, but it's not fair. And look what look what could happen. But if you do that, then you have no laws because you know, look what could happen is something that you look at with every law. Well, the question is, do you smell a challenge coming using this particular in, in, uh, individual, seeing as she's the first one convicted or accused? No, I, I don't. I don't. And I think it's probably because of, of the meth. I think that if this ruling were to start to um, be looked at by other jurisdictions and they say, well, you know, in this state they allowed for this and now we're going to criminalize A, B, C, and D, and, and you know, A happens to be tobacco, um, then I think that now you're looking at a, a massive challenge to everything or a limitation to it. But I think that in general, I think most people would favor this law. You know, there was there was a, a proposed bill um, and a ruling in New Jersey about six months ago, not involving drugs, but involving automobiles. And uh, the case was somebody was at home and they were texting a driver. And they knew that this person they were texting was driving the car. And in New Jersey, texting and driving, like in most states, is illegal, right? So the texter at home knows she's sending a text to this guy driving. The guy driving rear-ends another car. So the court on the lower level, they rule that if you knowingly text someone who is driving, you know they're driving and you text them anyway, you are also responsible for the accident. And I remember so, that ruling. Yeah, so right away you've got the liberal end of it saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Now you're going to have to prove that the texter knew that he or she was texting somebody that was driving. That doesn't seem fair. And so within a month, that, that ruling was overturned and all these, these very strict limitations were put in place. I, I think because... That's an unpopular ruling because you, you look at all these innocent people. What if somebody's texting in an emergency situation? What if you've got somebody who doesn't know that you're driving? That's an unpopular sure. law. But this, this is meth. This is drug use while pregnant. <laughs> I think this is a popular law, so I don't see a challenge coming. Okay, good, good. Well, you know, you talk about people wanting to protect the younger uh, citizens of this country, i.e., you're going to protect your kids. You're supposed to protect a child, right? Well, NBC and telling us that the Connecticut Supreme Court ruling that a New Haven teacher's name calling was enough to justify putting him on the state's central registry of child abusers. The court Friday overturned an appellate court decision that would have removed Nicholas Frank's name from the registry kept by the state Department of Children and Families. Frank suspended in 2008 for eight days from his job as an elementary school teacher after it was determined that he had teased a student about his weight, referring to him as pregnant. DCF found the name-calling amounted to emotional abuse, a decision affirmed by the higher court. The registry isn't available to the public but can be used by some potential employers conducting background checks. Uh, Frank's lawyer would not comment until he read the decision now. You know, again, protecting children, pretty easy. Uh, You know, this is kind of... You know, does this guy deserve to be on the registry for something he, you know, I don't say he did in the course of a job. But, uh, does this amount to that kind of abuse that amounts to a registry name? You know, this is a hard one because I went to school at a different time. You know, I, I, went to, no, I, went yeah. to a, I went to a school where, 
you know, bullying wasn't a thing. It was, oh, look, there's the playground bully. And, you know, you were taught to deal with things differently. Um, this is This is interesting. I personally think this. I think that in this day and age, that if you're going to be a teacher and I'm going to entrust you with my child, if you're going to do something that harms my child, you should be penalized. I think that, um, you know, in this case, I, I think it is child abuse. I really do. Because you know what? When you have an impressionable young mind and you're going to tell this, this kid who might be overweight you're pregnant, I mean, that's going to have an impact on his psychological development, on the way that, that kids look at him and treat him. You know, that's not right at all. I, I really think that he should either be, you know, taken out back and flogged publicly or, you know, I think it's, I think it's appropriate, actually, as, as, um, as a child abuser. I do. You know, I remember in school, we had, we had I went to a, a Catholic high school, and we had some of these, they were Salesian brothers, you know, and they would say all sorts of terrible things to people. But that was years and years and years ago, and... You know, nowadays things are different, and I think that that's, um, I think it's appropriate. What do you think about it? Well, that's the, you know, I mean, the line I see here, Peter, is in not approving of what he did, but is there a difference between abuse of a child, and I don't say outside of the workplace, but here's, a, here's someone who is watching your kids, for instance. You know, they're, they're in a different situation they're they're paid to be there there's there's different dynamics you know like you'd said you know you dealt with the school bully should you have to deal with the teacher bullying you no but does it warrant him to end up on a registry you can end up on the michigan state sex offenders registry for urinating in public because it's public indecency right does that warrant you to be out there with the guy down the street that has uh has uh fondled his his relative probably not it's that black and white issue, and how gray is this? And, again, I don't well, you know, warrant what this guy did, because I'd probably come unglued if he did it to my kid. But is there a difference when it ends up on a registry like that? I think, though, that the, there's levels to these registries, and that there's, there's lower-level registry entries, and, and they go up, obviously, as the crime is more serious. So you can be a low-level offender and mm-hmm. still continue to work, and your name doesn't appear um, I personally think that, uh, you know, I think it was appropriate. I think it's it's a tough call because, you know, he, he made a mistake, let's say, and heated argument and whatnot. But you can't take that back. You, you can't fix that. And, um, sure. you know, I, I think that um, it, it's a tough call. But, you know, if, if I saw that happening outside of school, I would be angry. But I think seeing it in school with an adult that's supposed to be nurturing my child, I think that I'd, I'd be even more upset. And, you know, that also, you know, it opens up questions about what schools do with respect to screening of teachers. You know, when I was mm-hmm. in school, I mean, this is going to sound like I went to a terrible high school. And I actually went to a very good high school. But when I was in school, we had a teacher who was arrested for selling cocaine. He was the baseball coach. Selling cocaine in the park. <laughs> a wrestling coach who was arrested for pushing steroids on the wrestling team. Um, we had a teacher that threw another kid through a plate glass window in math class because the kid was making fun of the teacher. Um, you know, so wow. You know, nowadays, right? I mean, should that be abuse? 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that um, I think that the, the the bullying shift. You can have a lot of people that say, "Oh, bullying," you know, just toughen up and suck it up. And but I, I don't. I think that the world has changed. I think that social media has played such a massive part on the ability to bully someone. You know, you want to hear a story? It's slightly off topic, but it's it's worth noting. Um, there's a school where there was a kid who uh, was a football player, right? And he's like seventh grade. And uh, the other kid is more of an artsy kid, and he was always into theater, and his mom would pick him up early from school, and uh, they'd go to, to theater in New York. And the football kid was not a bad kid, but he was just a little bit harder around the edge. And so sure. he would tease this artsy kid, and the artsy kid would go to the school all the time, and he was very articulate, so his emails were, it looked like an adult wrote them, and they were constantly saying, I'm being harassed, I need help, this, that, and the other thing. And uh, one teacher believed this kid and tried to help him, and she was the guidance counselor. And the other kids, the other teachers, I should say, they didn't really take him seriously, and they didn't report to the principal all of these instances that he was speaking of. And so one day, gym class... The athletic kid, you know those pegboards that, like, you know, you used to have in the gym when you'd climb up to the top of the oh, pegboard? Yeah. Sure. So this kid makes it up to the top, and the teacher, who's a woman, says to him, oh, you know, I'm not going to use the kid's name. We're going to call him Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy, great job. And she patted him on the back, and the kid got embarrassed. So when he walked in the locker room, the artsy kid said to him, nice job, Jimmy. And on his way out, Jimmy backhanded him in the stomach. Not a punch, but a backhand. And you know, the artsy kid had a, uh, a defective bone condition in his spine that nobody knew about. And because of that slap, he became paralyzed two days later from the neck down. And wow. sued, yeah, sued the school under the bullying laws. And the school itself had very, very high-level um, bullying training and whatnot. But the fact that that one teacher didn't take this seriously and never conveyed it to anyone else, you know, that opened this up to a massive multi-million dollar lawsuit. And obviously, I'd rather have my kid have the ability to walk than to have a few million dollars. But, right. uh, you know, that was, that was something, that was a case I was involved in. And, oh. you know... I was involved in in the defense. I was part of the defense team for the school. And, uh, you know, it was really hard because you'd think to yourself, man, if you just did something to prevent this, if you had just told somebody, and then, you know, you equate that action to what this guy did with calling the, the kid pregnant, you know, it's tough. It's tough growing up being a kid these days. And to have an adult making fun of you, I think he should be penalized. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and sometimes, <laughs> Peter, kids take themselves. Uh, girl nine from Minnesota tattling on her pothead parents. Uh, Nine-year-old Minnesota girl fed up with her parents' alleged use and sale of marijuana in their home. Took some action. She walked into the Barnesville police station last month and gave detailed descriptions to police about where to find their stash of meth and seven marijuana plants and <laughs> other paraphernalia, according to ABC News. Now, what was the final straw for this little girl? Well, they say that the little girl told the police that she had seen her parents blow marijuana smoke into the family's dog mouth, dog's mouth. 
She was afraid that the dog would get sick. So she very articulated <laughs> articulated her description of specific locations in the house and the types of drug paraphernalia that the police could find there. Parents not yet charged, but uh, police say uh, <laughs> once lab test results come back, that will have potential drug possession and drug cultivation charges and, of course, a possibility for, um, I guess we'll call it animal abuse, charges for getting the dog high. And that's actually on the rise, believe it or not. Um, If they are convicted of that, parents can be subject to up to one year in jail and or a $3,000 fine in addition to the other charges. Now, for the nine-year-old girl, She's back with the parents, at least for now. Beattie telling ABC News that they understood they were wrong and showed remorse. But the girl, that, but the lady that uh, drops her kid off at the park working her job at McDonald's, she doesn't get her kid back? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. You know, uh, it, it hey, Kids aren't as dumb right. as they, 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 they appear to be, and sometimes they just don't want to take any more. No, you know, and how dumb is it for the parent? I mean, come on. You know, everybody oh. likes seeing the, the monkeys that eat the, the fruit that makes them drunk walking around the sure. savannah on the on the uh, Animal Planet channel. I think I get a big <laughs> kick out of that. But I don't think it's funny to get your dog high. Meanwhile, you've got a kid. That's that's crazy. <laughs> oh, my totally cat's cool. name is Tangeray. That's a totally different show. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, you, you made a really good point, though, Bob. I mean, that woman that left her kid at the playground left the kid with a with a cell phone. She was trying to work to make money to support them, and and I don't trying know to be as responsible as she could afford. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And here you've got somebody that's growing drugs. They've got a stash of meth, and they're trying to get their dog high, and they get their kids back because that makes sense. It scares me what happened ten years ago when this child was in the womb. Yeah, yeah. You know, I you, you hope nothing. I mean. You know, you're just you. You don't. You generally don't have children and then decide to pick up a drug habit. Oh, would understand no. it. Um, yes. The uh, <laughs> having two children, I'm surprised I'm just still somewhat sober uh, in the morning. She, uh, but yeah, she's back with her parents. You know, I mean, I would fear if, if there's anyone I'm going to fear putting this kid back with. It is those parents until you can show me that you're responsible enough to be off uh, uh, whatever illegal drugs you happen to be out of this time before the yeah. kid's going back. So, yeah, that certainly seems like child that. endangerment to me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're gonna harass you because you've got milk and left the kids in a wagon, <laughs> but they're gonna send this girl back. Yeah, just you know, hey. you know make sure you water the marijuana plants. And uh, <laughs> and that's kind of when you know to jump back to that story when discussions were on about how good or how bad of a parent I was. I, I said, you know what? I stay home with my kids. I'm, you know, look at some of the parents in the area where I was. I'm father of the year. I don't take my kids to the to the to the store and feed them Mountain Dew and Doritos for breakfast. You know, I make them eggs every morning. I make them toast. I make them whatever. You know, something healthy. I'm here for them for lunch. I'm here when they get home from school. And you're gonna bust my chops. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But don't no. fight the battles. You, you, the problem is a lot of government uh, agencies fight the battles they can win instead of the battles they need to fight. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's so true. You know, I see yeah. it on, the, on the, the lower end. You know, this this isn't um, something that, that we can spend a lot of time on because we are running out of time. But I want to just sure. say this. 
over the weekend, I, I got this story that came in locally by me, you know, probably, um, I don't know, less than, than seven miles from here. There's Route 17. Route 17 is a major thoroughfare, and it takes you past all the big malls for those people who are out in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. So th- this is really interesting because you're talking about um, government and what they choose to enforce and not enforce. So there's this girl who's driving on Route 17, and she's texting while she's driving. And following behind her is a motorcycle, uh, motorcyclist. So mm-hmm. she takes her eyes off the wheel. She looks down. She starts texting. She stops short because she looks up and realizes that she's going to rear-end a car. When she stops short, the motorcyclist realizes that he's not going to be able to stop. He lays his bike down, and the, the, the pegs that are on, like, the bike where the pedals are flip yeah. him over, and he gets stuck in between two cars, and he dies. So here's the, the thing that blows my mind. Who do you think, Bob? Who would you say is responsible for that death? I'm going to go with the texter. All right. That's what normal people think. Do you, you believe that the way this is coming down so far, and we'll see what happens after lawsuits are filed, but from a police perspective and, and charging them with a crime, the police are saying that the girl caused the accident by texting, but she didn't cause the death because the guy on the motorcycle was violating a state statute by following too closely behind now, I have a problem with that, because if the guy was able to lay his bike down and, and you know, how closely behind could he be following? So, I, I don't know. Something doesn't seem right there. Um, the, the driver of the car uh, was a, a young girl from a very affluent town, and, you know, it almost makes me wonder, is everything on the up and up in this case? Oh. Because, you know, she's texting and her texting causes somebody to die, but that's not that's not what what the police are saying. They're saying, yeah, they caused the accident, but not the death. So now, and that's a criminal situation. How? What do you think about the civil? What's going to happen? I think civilly, I think that she's going to be sued. I think that there'll be a wrongful death case, and I think that she's going to lose. So is that pretty yeah. much the, the the easy answer for situations like that nowadays, where the criminal? Uh, courts say, well, this guy was doing this, so it really isn't 100% her fault. But when you start to look at the civil situation, there's different requirements for a civil verdict. It, yeah, it, it's yeah. pretty much car you just do that now, eh? Yeah, you know what? Because you've got to show beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal case, um, and that's, that high standard is not in existence uh, in, in civil cases. So what would happen ultimately is that uh, when the family of the, the motorcyclist sues. They're going to sue everybody involved, right? The car in front of the girl, they're going to sue the girl. But the, the primary defendant is going to be the girl who was texting. And when it, it, it ultimately comes out to a verdict or to a settlement, what they're going to do is they're going to look at the percentage that they believe that the motorcyclist was responsible. So it's called you know comparative negligence. They're going to say... Talked about that last week, yes. Yeah. They're going to say that, you know, you were X percent negligent because you were following too closely behind. And so, you know, you're not entitled to as much money. But interesting from the criminal end, because these, these police officers have so much power with respect to charge and not charge. And then it gets over to the prosecutorial side where you've got a prosecutor. And to your point, which is they like to take cases that they win, prosecutors 
unless you're lifers, right, you're, you're a lifelong prosecutor in the, the municipal courts uh, or uh, the lower-level courts, you are a young kid right out of law school. You want to try cases, and all you care about is building your reputation as a trial attorney. So you're not <laughs> going to take those tough cases. You take those you know, cases that you know are slam dunks. And that's, that's not justice, but that's what happens. Sure, absolutely. Uh, between, that and that, between that and plea bargains, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> are, are we, we got time for one more, Peter? Are we going to? We got one uh, more. We got one, one more. more. Well, you know, you go back to that, uh, this young lady and her pot. Well, they're just in the wrong state, Peter. That's all. Colorado smoking a ton of it, according to the Huffington Post. <laughs> Colorado smoking pot by the ton, and visitors, of course, predictably are too. Colorado's pot regulators issued what is believed to be the world's first post legalization market study for weed on Wednesday. The study relied on sales data from Colorado's first three months of recreational marijuana sales, while previous pot market studies relied only on survey results because the drug was illegal, or at least is in 49 other states, roughly. Uh, the study finds total marijuana demand to be much larger than previously estimated and has to be the biggest uh, of the week. Study estimating the total market demand for marijuana in Colorado is about 130 metric tons a year. Wow. That's 121 metric tons for residents and nine for, medic- for visitors coming into uh, the state of Colorado. Those figures include medical and recreational marijuana. How much do you pay in first in Colorado? $220. So start doing the math. Wow. <laughs> That's um, crazy. It, it, any kind of doubt this was going to happen, but the thing is, I think when you read like this, Peter, if you're if you're a lawmaker, if you're a, a lobbyist or, or or one of these guys that are uh, for legalization, man, you take these numbers and say, look what we can bring you in tax revenue. Yeah, yep. You know what? And that's the sad thing about this. I don't know. I'm not a pot smoker. I've never smoked it. I had concerns. We did a show a while back with. Um, a guy from the um, New Jersey Federation of Medical Marijuana, and, and, and I understand the medicinal purposes, the medicinal use of it, but I personally, probably because I've not been involved in it, I can't understand the recreational use of it, but I worry because the business end of this is going to be so massive. If you look at all the patents that have been put in for paraphernalia lately, um, and I think that, you know, like... Um, you know, like like the legalization of gay marriage, which has spread across the country, I think that this is going to be something that will ultimately spread. And then, you know, you, there's a greater worry, though, because while businesses are getting rich, um, people getting high, I've often worried about what do you do when you've got somebody that's so high and they're operating a car and, you know, now you've got this whole culture of potheads. You know, is that a real concern? And the guy from the Medical Marijuana Foundation was like, no, no, that's crazy. That'll never happen. As a matter of fact, I try better when I'm stoned. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think they said they used to say the same thing. I I drive better when I'm drunk also. (laughs) Um, You know, you you get to a really good point there, I think. And what most people don't think of is how do you know someone's high behind the wheel, especially if they're not smoking? Um, And we have that solved. The, you have the breathalyzer, the PBT for alcohol. You have the Doritos test. Officer comes up to the car, 
suspects you might be under the influence of marijuana, simply offers you a bag of Doritos. If you get out of the car, you're higher than a kite. That's right. You know, it nothing to do with missing lunch. You know, that's, that's, and that's, that's one of the big things. How do you know? And, and, and even you get into you know, a medicinal situation, though, um, you know, is, is, it, is it a crime to drive under the influence of uh, prescription drugs? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and you depends, know what? Depends on the situation. It's interesting because not too long ago, a few months ago, there was a situation um, in Colorado where, because under federal law, marijuana is still illegal. Under state law, it's legal. Federal law is not going to do anything because they're producing revenue uh, and they're getting tax dollars off of it. But there was a a whole discussion about what do you do as an employer in Colorado? Now, it's it's legal to, to smoke pot, but can you still tell people that, uh, we've got an anti-drug policy in this company, and that if you're caught coming to work high or you're smoking on the job, you can be fired. The answer to that question was yes. But, um, or even if it's in your blood, if you test positive, or yeah. you've got dry, uh, DOT regulations right there. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that as the revenue increases, I think you're going to see other states jumping on the bandwagon because it's such a huge moneymaker, and marijuana is so cheap to produce. So... But you know what? It's going to be years down the you're road. Going to, you're going to see the big pharmacy companies starting to produce uh, super weed. Yeah, yeah. As well. you know what, you know, they're going to get in the game. They're not going to. Leave, they're not going to miss out on that dollar. No, but down the line, it's going to be the same thing that happened to the the cigarette industry, where they realize it's not good for you and there's problems, and so. I don't know. It's interesting, but I think that that corporate greed is going to weigh out here. And I think that with lobbyists in place, you're going to see everybody. You know, it's not going to be uh, just Colorado. It'll be everywhere. Absolutely. No, I I agree 100% with you. It is just a matter of time. I don't think it has anything to do with principles. It has everything to do with the pocketbook. Exactly what you said. Yep. And and that is what it is. And, and, um, it's going to be interesting for the next generation because it's going to take a few years for it to take hold. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's going to be a ton of legislation popping up, a ton of new laws. You're going to have to deal with all sorts of new sort of, uh, of lawsuits. Uh, it's really going to be interesting. Um, but I don't know. I'm not a big fan of, of, of drugs. So I, it loses all its luster on me. I don't know. Sure. No, I had a, well, and <laughs> I was going to stop you at old, but okay. <laughs> Which reminds me, I got to go water my pots. <laughs> Just ask your kids. To I mean, it. I mean, I mean my garden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and there, that's a whole new thing, you know. I mean, not to uh, uh, continue the conversation, but when they do legalize it for sale, what's to keep me from growing it at home? Now you've got yeah. bathtub gin versus. Legally produced alcohol in ATF. Yeah. It's it's going to be the ATF and M, alcohol, tobacco, <laughs> firearms, and marijuana. Yep, yep, <laughs> absolutely. They, they need a whole new acronym. Oh man, that's that's just what they need another acronym. <laughs> <laughs> and more bureaucracy. So uh, there you go. That's the week that was, man. All right, we've got um, you know some good stuff coming up. I think that uh, if you haven't uh, listened to last week's last Thursday's episode, we talked about gun control and the use of smart guns and um, its impact on the Second Amendment. And it's a really good episode. We had some really good guests. We had uh, Robert McNamara from Trigger Smart and 
uh, very, very good show. So take a look at that. Uh, don't forget to leave comments about this video or any of the topics that we discussed, anything that you'd like to see on the show. You can leave them on Facebook and Twitter. You can put them under the show notes um, on the YouTube channel once the video is posted. Uh, it's really you know, important. Bob and I like to hear from you guys. We like to know what sort of topics you want to hear, uh, hear more about on the show. And uh, I'll try to produce some videos that deal with some of the legal issues that we talked about today to kind of supplement this show. Uh, so, but your feedback's critical. Right, Bob? We want to hear from people. Absolutely. I need to know. Yep, Driving we all me need nuts. To. That's right. <laughs> all right. So That's always nice. It. It's always nice to hear the good and the bad. So, yeah. absolutely, you know. And, and like, if there's something that uh, someone out there notices, even, you know, we, we can't cover all the news. You see something happening locally, by all means, let us know. You never know. It may be a situation where it's a bigger national situ- uh, product or, yeah. or story. That's absolutely true. So, you know, tweet us or, or put it on Facebook, and we'll talk about the news because there's a ton of stuff that happens locally that we don't know about, and it's really interesting. So, uh, yeah, please do that. Uh, don't forget to tune in this Thursday uh, for our, our uh, regular Understanding the Law program. And then stick with us every Monday because uh, and let us know how you like the format. I think that um, bringing this news is a really good thing. I think that it, it, it's a way of um, you know understanding uh, the law in a way that is like practical approach. So I think uh, yeah, very very to the point. And it's you know, like you say, it, it, you see it in real world situations, and and that's what you know. Without examples, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. So all right, well, Bob. Thanks for uh, for being here with me again today. Um, as always, I had fun. Me. And um, you know, you know, stick around, comment. Don't forget to download the free app. Ask your questions directly to an attorney. An attorney will get back to you. We've had an increase in the download of the app, which is a great thing, and it's a good service because it's totally free. And you're going to get your questions answered by an attorney. It's just part of our public outreach um, and and our social responsibility. That's why we do the app. That's why we do the show. So I will be back on Thursday. Bob will be back with me on Monday. Until then, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want you to remember that there's power in understanding the law. Pros and the no start with Lowe's, because Lowe's has the fixtures and the savings to get the job done right. Working on a big bath project? Now you can get up to 35% off select bath faucets. And you can even save up to 20% on select toilets. Plus, order what you need online and pick it up in-store. See Lowe'sForPros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 3-1 while supplies last. Selection varies by location, U.S. only.